So today we are going to be talking about something that likely will be, that is, or has been a major part of your life, work. And if you are in any way close to the statistical average, you will spend 90,000 hours of your life doing this, on average, a third of your life. Regardless of faith, it would probably be important to think carefully about your relationship to work given its slice of our life. And for those who are Christ followers, it would be wise to think about the impact your work should have in relationship with God, I mean, seeing as you spend so much time in it. Work has been quite the mosaic for me. Obviously, my work is currently to pastor in this church, Central Heights. I have previously pastored in another established church. I have planted a new church. And I have also worked for a missions agency. But there's more to my resume. I have worked in the financial world as a certified financial planner. I have worked for a painting company and I've, I have worked as a self-employed construction subcontractor in both painting and insulating. I have worked in sales in the flooring industry and in marketing. So leaving aside the question of which work was or is most fulfilling for me, when was I most valuable? Which work was of most importance? And how do we measure that? I mean, depending on your circle, there can be a social rating or a financial score, or even a spiritual score. Does my work in church, I mean, so obviously spiritual, have greater value before God than my blue collar efforts in painting? By what standard? Or is there a standard for what is true for me and what is true for you? And what if my work is a drudgery? What if there's absolutely no fulfillment in what I do? It's just a paycheck just a necessity to pay the bills and get me through to the weekend and holidays. How can there be a better way to this? Not surprisingly, the Bible has a lot to say about work and as it is for so many things, Genesis sets the foundation for a right perspective on it right from the start. It begins by showing us God works. As Genesis unfolds the creation story, what God does is referred to as work. Genesis 2, starting verse 2, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I'm really good at holidaying. I love to travel, be at leisure, rest, relax, play. Sometimes when a summer break is over, I can feel the weight of responsibility going back to my work and I don't like it. And I could be tempted to think the best life is a life of no work, just leisure. And I know that for some of you, your work is so difficult that each week you can't wait for it to be over as you drudgingly make it to the weekend. Well, Genesis readjusts my thinking. Work is not a dirty word. Work is intended to be a good thing. You might remember in this series that in the Babylonian creation story, the Enuma Elish, man was created to work so that the gods didn't have to. But in Genesis, right from the start, our glorious and all-powerful creator God is seen as working and it provides great satisfaction to him. You know, he creates the stars, things in the heavens. This is good. This is good. That is good. This is very good. And then God rests. But it is his work that gives meaning and satisfaction to his rest. In the financial world, there's often been the concept of creating a financial nest egg that is sufficient to retire early. Freedom 55 was a marketing slogan, and you can see the not-so-subtle message in that. Work is slavery. Get ahead financially to get free from work. The thing is, 
we are finding that people who retire to a full stop don't do very well. Physically, emotionally, not so good. Rather, retirement is best looked at as an opportunity to continue to work, but to do so in less stressful ways, less hours, more flexibility, and more importantly this, not so much to make money because you have to, but to work in an area of purpose and passion. Work is to be connected to meaning. I've never forgotten an interview I saw with a Syrian refugee. Uh, many who chanced the crossing of the Mediterranean to Italy and survived the voyage found themselves in a waiting compound. Some of them were there for years in a place there was nothing to do but wait. We are losing our minds, this refugee said. We are going mad. Why? Because in their waiting, they had no purposeful work. In Genesis, God goes to work to make good of the world. He takes chaos and brings order. He makes structures and he fills them up. Take a look around you, up, down, around. Really look at the outstanding beauty and complexity of what exists. God's work is purposeful and beautiful. It's good. And we? You and I are created in God's image. So guess what? We are created, made for, designed to work because God works we work. Later in Genesis and in Exodus, the same Hebrew word for work ascribed to God is ascribed to the labor of human beings. Bible commentator Gordon Wenham says, it is therefore a little unexpected that the extraordinary divine activity involved in creating heaven and earth should be so described. But then again, we're made to be God's image bearers. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Human beings are to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So God did not make the world he created finished. There is a certain raw wildness to the earth. It must be subdued. That is, it has to be tamed. And it has potential for growth and development. And man is to have dominion, meaning to rule over creation reflecting the nature of God. As God is king of the universe, man is to be king in the sphere in which God has given to him. Old Testament scholar Terence Fretham says, Genesis does not present the creation as a finished product wrapped up with a big red bow and handed over to the creatures to keep it exactly as originally created. For the creation to stay just as God originally created it would constitute a failure of the divine design. From God's perspective, the world needs work, development, and change are what God intends for it, and God enlists human beings. God enlists human beings. Part of God's blessing to us is to give us meaningful work, something to find pleasure and satisfaction in, just as God found pleasure in his work. I mean, this is one of the things about God that never ceases to amaze me. God doesn't need us. He spoke the world into existence. He could surely take the world where he wants it to go without any help from measly, puny little me or you. But he made us to be his image bearers. He calls us into partnership with him to make something more of this world that he created for good. In Genesis 2, we are given a perspective of how this worked out. He starts us off with a garden plot that man is to expand and so fill the earth. In Genesis 2, 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15, 
The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The word work is also translated cultivate. The word culture comes from that word group. And while the, the garden represents Adam's sphere, we shouldn't limit Adam's role to shovel and dirt. He is called to attend all that God has given him. The family he is creating, which as it expands, leads to society with learning and arts and buildings and communications. All of that will take place as the garden expands. Culture, as Adam carries out his mandate to cause it to grow, develop, and thrive. In the book Life Work, as man builds on first principles, as he discovers the things that are hidden, as he explores the vast reaches of our outer and inner space, as he writes, paints, and composes, he does what God intended for him to do. He is stewarding the garden, fulfilling the cultural mandate. So God provides the materials, speaking those things into existence, and then man is to make more of it. Engineer Dr. Stuart Burgess comments on the amazing variety of those materials that man has to work with. Soft and hard metals, aluminum, titanium, lead, nickel, copper, different types of woods for different purposes. Cypress is great for outdoor construction, resists rotting. Pine, good for interiors. Willow and ash, tough woods, great for baseball bats and cricket bats. Spruce, ideal for instruments. It's a tone wood, they call it, stiff and light. A student of creation, Burgess says, it's as if God has thought of every need of man, every future need of man, and then given us all the materials that we would need to construct cities and homes. We see the goodness and wisdom of God in doing that. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, not only to work it, but also to keep it. Man is called to protect, to guard, and keep the well-being of what he rules over. Care of the earth is certainly in that sphere, and we'll have more on that next week with the idea of the flourishing of all spheres in which man will find himself on the earth. Maybe you've never had a vision for the sphere of your city, to make it a better society, to take responsibility for your part, to help cultivate its flourishing. Maybe you have never thought of your business as the place where God wants to use you to influence people and provide an environment for your staff's well-being. Maybe you have never seen your business as a lever to touch structures in your society to make society better. This was our work, given from the beginning, to work, to cultivate and keep the garden. And this, this is designated as worship. Your work is to be worship. There is a misconception about work which has its roots in Plato and Gnosticism that relegates what is material and earthy to be of lesser value. What is of the body doesn't matter so much, only what is spiritual, and this falsely translates higher value to certain kinds of work. Os Guinness in his book Calling refers to this as a distortion, that for example, full-time Christian service is superior to regular work. Eusebius of Caesarea, he wrote in the third and fourth century, he was an early church historian who taught that there were two ways of life. One way was the perfect life, that which is spiritual and given to reflection, such as practiced by the priests and monks and nuns. The other life was called the permitted life. That was the life carried out in the secular world and the lesser activities of governing, work, and even raising a family. This dualism today is also referred to as the sacred-secular split. And 
Often it has an unspoken hierarchy. So at the top, the pastor or the overseas missionary. Then below that, there's the local full-time Christian worker. And then somewhere in the middle, maybe service workers like nurses and doctors. And yeah, at the bottom, blue-collar workers, plumbers, electricians, drywallers. This is so wrong. And Genesis corrects this. Against Gnosticism, the material world in Genesis is called good by God. The physical world has great value, so much that God delights in it. The work God gives us, gives us as a blessing is inclusive of physical work with the physical world. And hear this. The term given to Adam's labor is the same Hebrew word used to describe what the priest does in the tabernacle in his act of worship as he serves there. Temple work, or today we could say church work garden work, or today we could say blue-collar work, and everything in between, all of man's work can and should be worship directed to God. We see this proclaimed so clearly in the New Testament. In Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, as for the Lord. This is where meaning and work and everything we do finds its highest point. Whether I get paid for it or as a stay-at-home parent or as a retired volunteer, I can do the lowliest task, but as a labor directed to God, for God, perhaps in obedience to God, it has infinite worth. The story of William Wilberforce is well known today. Wilberforce, the politician who had great impact on the dismantling of the slave trade, in Europe. But what many people don't know is that he almost never got to his political career. He was converted to Christ at age 25 and thought, like so many did then and so many still do today, that ministry within the church would be more important than ministry without. One had a superior value over the other. To be a preacher would be more glorious than to be a politician. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, a former slave trader who had been converted to Christ, reasoned with Wilberforce that God wanted him to stay in politics as opposed to entering, entering formal ministry. He pushed Wilberforce to recognize his calling was to be a politician. And the history of our world has been greatly impacted by that pivotal decision. And therein is the pivotal decision for each one of us. Our careers, what we choose to do for that big chunk of our 168 hours a week, that big slice of our lives is to be connected to a relationship with God out of which we want to worship him in the specific plan he has for our lives. Calling is the word used for this. Some will be called to be pastors and some will be called to be, to be missionaries, but some will be called to be teachers and plumbers and electricians. For much of his life, Jesus lived out his calling as a carpenter. All of us, though, are called to glorify God, make the world a better place. But each of us are wired and created to do that in our own uniqueness. Like snowflakes, in the details, no two are exactly the same. God works. We work. And we best make our work as worship by living our lives unto God as good stewards of what he has made us to be. In the Gospel of Luke, there is a story of Jesus heading towards Jerusalem, and he needs to straighten out the disciples thinking about how this all works. Listen to what he says. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, 
engage in business until I come. Long after Genesis, we live in a time when Jesus has come, died for us, and risen from the dead. And those who place their faith and trust in him are, to, are made to be citizens of his kingdom. But as disciples, we need to know. So we, the fullness of the kingdom has not yet fully come. And in the waiting, we, we're not to be idle. We're to engage in his business until he comes. In other words, being a Christ follower is so much more than getting a pass to heaven and waiting for that to materialize. God has a work for us to do in the interim. In the parable, two of the servants brought a return. One hid his investment in the ground. Jesus commands and rewards the faithful, reprimands the one who buries his investment. It's pretty easy to see. God has invested gifts and talents and abilities, his meanness in each one of us. And we are to steward that to make more of the world through what he has invested in us. Yes, it includes the spiritual. Our calling is rooted in a right relationship with God. And we want to use what we have to help others be brought into that right relationship. The Great Commission is always in view for us. But it also includes the physical. All of it is worship. Our faith influences every part of our lives. If you are a builder, build the best houses for the glory of God. If you're an accountant, be the best accountant for the glory of God. If you're a stay-at-home parent, be the best parent fully investing in your kids. What we do and how we do it, reflecting the creativity, the beauty, the ethics, and goodness of the one who has called us. Oh man, this is, this is so exciting to me. The 90,000 hours of our lives are not meant to be just a way to pay for our consumption. And they're not meant to be just a necessity to make it to our rest and our relaxation. Work has intrinsic worth. Work was intended with meaning and purpose because it is a work given by God. We're connected to God. Work for God. But here's the reality. See, I know if statistics are right, many of you don't like your work. In British Columbia right now, they say like 50% of the workforce is thinking about changing their job. If we could see God as the one we are working for, it would change a lot. I also know that if we can position ourselves more fully to be working in the places God has wired us and gifted us for, it will breathe life into us instead of sucking the life out of us. I'm going to give us a few practical principles to help us get there. First of all, center. Keep God at the center. You are God's image bearer. That identity was not earned by you. You didn't have to qualify for it. By his grace, God stamped that on you. Bring your identity in God to your work so that work doesn't become your identity. Keep God central to your life because that is the core of your calling. And this will keep you from pursuing a type of career for the wrong reasons. And instead of money or prestige or approval, what matters most will be the discernment of God's call on your life. Next, discover. Discover your calling. Your calling is not something to be earned so much as it is to be discovered. And this takes time. You've got to have experience and, and take some steps, one at a time. In their book, Designing Your Life, authors Bill Burnett and Dave Evans say that only one in five young people between 12 and 26 have a clear vision of where they want to go, what they want to accomplish in life, and why. Our experience, they say, suggests similarly that 80% of people of all ages don't really know what they are passionate about. Their thesis is that you build a life through process, explore, trial, and error. 
For a Christian, it will include prayer and listening to what God may be saying and how he is guiding. And the process will be imperfect. Like we're in Genesis 2 today, but Genesis 3 is just around the corner when it all falls apart. And we still feel its effect in our present day. This is important to know. Your work will never be perfect. Never 100% rightly fitted for you. Never 100%, no problems, everything goes right. Never 100% happiness factor all the time. Because of the fall, our work in this life will be a mixture. But we do it unto the Lord wherever we are. Next, maximize your potential in your place. Hey, wherever you find yourself right now, do your best. Be your best with that, with what God has given you. Wherever you are planted, learn all you can on the job, even what not to do if you have a horrible boss. David Hubbard says, hard work ought to be the normal routine of us who serve a carpenter Christ, who follow the, the lead of a tent maker apostle, and who call ourselves children of a father who is still working. The conditions of our work does not have to be optimal in order for us to do our job for God's glory. And in the places when it's difficult, think about it. This is the opportunity for those who work with you 20, 30, 40 hours a week to see what following Jesus well looks like. Help. Help others. Get help. We want to help each other discover our calling. Parents, like pay attention to the bent of your child and the first evidences of their calling. Pray into that. Foster that where possible. Give opportunity for your children to explore it. Family, community groups. Help each other to see where a person's best contribution should head towards. And speaking of help, draw on the help of the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting to me. The first person to be spoken of as filled with the Spirit was a craftsman. Bezalel in Exodus chapter 31, verse 3. If all our work is worship, surely we can ask for God's help to discern and carry out his call in our lives. Lastly, set. Set your sights on transformation. The impact of William Wilberforce was an outflowing of a, a Christian worldview that went beyond seeing Christian faith as simply about personal salvation. He believed God wanted not only to transform the individual, but also society. And that is integral to our vision here at Central Heights. We talk about more and growing followers of Jesus, about healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. Wilberforce, in addition to working for the abolition of slavery, he helped found the Society for Bettering the Cause of the Poor. He helped found the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. He called the church to address the rampant problems of alcoholism and drug abuse. Out of a comprehensive worldview, his influence was exponential. Dick Staub in the book, The Cultural Savvy Christian says, God's original purpose is not our salvation or the evangelization of others. It is that we glorify God by reflecting God's image through expression of the spiritual, intelligent, creative, moral, and relational capacities uniquely imprinted on humans. This creation mandate has never been rescinded. So set your sights high and be patient Sow the seed, invest, learn, grow, pivot, and depend on God in the process as he takes your humility and your best and leads and guides you to where you need to be. All the while working hard, working excellent at everything you do, knowing this glorifies God in what you were made to be and do. Center, discover, maximize, help, 
set. Keep God at the center. Discover your calling. Maximize your potential and your place. Help others. Get help and set your sights on transformation. My grandchildren call me Papa. They make colorings and cards for me and some of their artwork is on my fridge and my heart smiles every time I look at their stuff. Not perfect, but beautiful to me, just the same. As we give God our best, I have to think he feels the same way. To him, your work is worship.